Okay, we're back. We're going to finish up uh, seven letters. Uh, Laodicea is the seventh one, the lukewarm church. Fascinating um, portion of scripture when we look at these seven letters and how the Lord uh, chose those ones to correct them with the problems of that day and yet the things that took place, any one of those churches and the things that were happening, you could find those things today. Some say that each one of those churches uh, describes a particular um, period of this church age. I don't necessarily believe that, but I think you could find every aspect of every church in any particular time, but that's fine and dandy if you want to look at it that way. Um, we have uh, the Laodicean church. Now, the previous one, Philadelphia, the Lord um, didn't have anything bad to say about them. There was nothing for them to repent of. Nothing for them to repent of. But uh, Laodicea is completely opposite, the lukewarm church. And we'll see what's happened to Laodicea. Uh, these, uh, these things saith unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things saith the Amen. Now again, the Lord Jesus is talking to them about some things about himself. And when you look at these things, uh, study them out, the things that the Lord Jesus was saying to each of the churches regarding himself, and you probably find it has to do with something to do with what's going on in the church. And by all means do that. This is not a, a comprehensive study in the sense that we're not taking every word and every uh, phrase and, and studying it out and diving into it. We're just giving you a, a, a rough basic outline of, of, the, of the book, what's taking place here, so we can help you understand what's going on. It's up to you to do your homework in that um, look these things up that we talk about and look up the references and read it over and over and over and then uh, you'll become very familiar with it. Uh, these things saith the Amen. Now the word Amen, we hear that often, it just simply means may it be so or it is true or something like that. That's the idea of it. The Amen, Jesus Christ is the Amen. He is the truth. That's Him right there. The faithful and true witness. And indeed, isn't he that? The one that, in the life of Jesus Christ, in the cross of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ, in the intercession of Christ, in the return of Christ, we see his faithfulness, we see him witnessing of the things of God, the true witness. I just can't understand, I suppose it's a, and it is a great, terrible spiritual thing where people are caught up in different religions and such and have different gods and idols and things like that that can't do a thing for them. What, they, what's, what can that thing do for their sin? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Jesus Christ can wash away your sins. Take it all away and make you clean, give you a new heart. Make you become a child of God. He says the Amen, the faithful and true witness in the beginning of the creation of God. Now some people don't believe that Jesus is deity. Well, of course, he declared that he was. God manifested in the flesh. He said that he was the I Am, the Almighty, the Everlasting Father. This is him. This is him right there. So that word beginning right there doesn't mean uh, something in its beginning or that he's the beginning of the creation or the first one created. That's not what it means. It's the word arche. It denotes a ruler or the first one or the head over something. For instance, you'll read in the Bible about the archangel. 
for God is a God of order and such, the archangel is the head one, the top one over, over the rest of them. Jesus Christ is the, is the archaeist, that he's the head over the, over the creation of God, over everything. He goes on to say, he introduces himself, and then he goes on to say, um, verse 15, I know thy works. Again, there's another, that phrase that's repeated in the seven letters, I know thy works. And you stop and think about it, of course he would. And these are the things that Jesus is very concerned with. And folks say, well, some folks say, well, yeah, I have a lot of good works. And they're looking to their works to get them to heaven, uh, but not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Okay, it's by his mercy he saves us, by the, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ and faith and belief in him. Jesus Christ the Son of God went to the cross of Calvary to pay for your sins as a sacrificial lamb, went in our place, and the Father placed on him, placed the, and the wrath of God upon him for our, our sins, and he took the payment, and he paid it, and it demanded that there would be a death and blood would be shed, and Jesus did that, because he loves us and loves all, and God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should come to know Christ. When he talks about the works here, he's not talking about works for salvation. You see, works come after salvation, not before. Don't get that turned around, folks. You'll make a terrible, eternal mistake. I know thy works. The works that the Christian does after the Spirit of God has come in, after you've believed in Christ and just changes you, you will do something for the Lord. Do something for the Lord. He says, I know thy works. He goes on to say about the Laodicean church, he says, you're neither cold nor hot. So if you're not this and you're not that, you're somewhere in between. Well, let's just think about that for a moment. That uh, no cold and no hot, I think of it myself and I think of it uh, as uh, a cold uh, drink on a hot day, a hot drink on a cold day, a, a refreshing quality. Would the Lord Jesus rather that they were cold, I mean cold to the things of God and completely gone away from the things of God? I don't think that's what he would mean there. He's just talking about that refreshing quality that uh, to the Lord, such as in uh, that which is naturally found in a cold or hot water or a cold or hot drink. Or we could say there's no, uh, no refreshment for the spiritual weary. This church had no refreshment for the spiritual weary, uh, nor healing for the spiritually sick. A church has to provide that. What, what do we need? When we come to church, one of the things we do, we come here to praise the Lord, we come to worship God, and we get to spend time with other believers. We have the Lord's table, and we get challenged, and we get encouraged, and we get strengthened. Exhortation means lifting up and showing people the right path to take. That's what it should be about. And we find that in Scripture. And the Scriptures must go forward. That's what will help us. The Word of God coming to the person's heart and spirit helps the individual. This church didn't have that. They didn't have any of those things. No refreshment. No refreshment for the weary. No refreshment for the Lord. The Lord says they were totally distasteful to Him. That church was totally distasteful to Him. He says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Just think about that for a minute. The Lord says that church makes him sick. It's like he would just throw it out, 
bummed it up, as it were. Now he goes on, he shows the problem here. He shows the problem, uh, uh, the difficulty here. In verse 17, he gets right, right down to the point of it. Because thou sayest. Now he's going on to uh, uh, describe a few things, but here's some of the things that they were saying about themselves, and they were proud of it. This may speak of their pride, their pride of, and they would have had pride in their money and their possessions. There's the problem, he's saying. Here's the problem. You have the worldliness and the goods and the money. And they had money laid up and they were very wealthy. Kind of like us in North America. And you say, we're not wealthy. Oh yeah, we have a missionary we support in a, uh, one of our missionaries in the Philippines. And he, uh, the Lord bless that man just, and his wife working, working for the Lord Jesus and doing what they can, trying to feed children and getting the word out. And they don't have two nickels rubbed together hardly. Other countries don't, don't have what we have. We have access to money if we don't have it. Okay, don't ever think we're not rich. And this is one of the things that affects the North American churches and Christianity too, is that we become the Laodicean church. Remember, this is the last church he mentions before we get on to the next uh, next bit of things that are going to take place in the book of Revelation. He gets on to uh, uh, the scene in heaven before the Antichrist comes, before the uh, tribulation comes, before the terrible things pour out upon the earth and such. But let's get back to this. He says, you're distasteful. I will spew you out of my mouth. He says, you make me sick. Because you say, you speak with pride, you've got your possessions. Those are the things that you uh, relish in. These are the things that keep you safe. These are the things that entertain you. These are the things that you work for. You've got that. And when hard time comes, you can trust in your bank account or whatever. It's just wrong. Nothing wrong with having goods and such and having riches if it's used properly. And God says if, you've, if he's allowed us to have that uh, and to be in that situation, it's to help other people as well. Not for us to live with an elevated lifestyle while those around about us are. I'm not talking about uh, socialism or anything like that. We're talking about what the Lord expects us to do, is, is to reach out for others. And to not let riches and worldly goods become that which fills our heart. But it should be Jesus Christ that fills our heart. Think of your heart as a throne. And Jesus Christ will be sitting on the throne of your life. Is he sitting on that throne? Or are you yourself sitting on it? Or your, your work or your pursuits or your hobbies or whatever? No, we don't need that. Because thou sayest this, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. They didn't even need the Lord. And sometimes we talk to Christians and they don't seem to understand. They don't seem to be trusting in the Lord. And then when difficulties come, if they can't fix that thing with money, then they just fall apart. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conversation be without covetous, covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says, let your conversation, not doesn't mean your, your words, but the words are part of it, but it means your manner of life. Hebrews 13, 5, let your manner of life be without 
covetousness. Now it's important for us to study the words in the Bible. That word covetous right there is aphiligoria, which means no love of silver. And silver is used for money back in those days. So you could say, we could take it for today, no love of money. Let your life, your manner of life be without the love of money and be content with such things as you have. And he goes on to say, for he hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We don't have to worry about whether we have money or not or whatever. We've got the Lord and he will never leave us. Okay, whether we be rich or poor or whatever. Just, we need to think about that. The love of silver, the love of money. He says, let your life be without that. This church had no spiritual discernment. They, did have, they had no understanding of spiritual things. It had gone from them. And the Lord says, you're distasteful to me. You're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. But let's look at, the Lord doesn't uh, uh, just leave it there. He goes on to say in verse 18, the remedy for them. Remember we said last time, uh, there's always hope with the Lord. And there is always hope. He says, I want you to go and buy gold of me. Remind the world's goods and such. Don't remind pile and that stuff. You're going to die and it's going to be left for somebody else anyways. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He says, buy gold of me. He's talking about spiritual riches which are better, are to be preferred rather than the world's uh, goods and such. And of course, it's a... Uh, you know, money is important. We need it today to function and to live in such, and the Lord will look after us. But don't let it get a hook in your heart. Don't let it get a hook into your life and it be that thing which drives you, that thing that you must have. You're all in all. The Lord Jesus is our all in all. He is to be uh, everything to us. He is our spiritual riches, and our spiritual riches come from Him. He says, go your gold from me and, and white raiment. And Revelation 19.8 talks about the righteousness of the saints. That white, pure white linen, the righteousness of the saints. And he goes on to say in verse 18, <clears throat> excuse me. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. They were in such a state that they didn't even know it. It's as if they were sitting there, if I could put it this way, if they were sitting there, they're not clothed properly and don't even know it. Yeah, not, I mean, not being spiritually clothed properly. He talks about the nakedness of their shame. They've lost their way by choosing the world's goods and, and offerings of the world. The Bible says you can't serve God and men. You can't serve God and riches. It doesn't work. He says, anoint thine eyes. They could not see. They had a great spiritual need. And yet the Lord's still showing them and telling them that they can go this other path, the proper path that he calls them to. If you've fallen into sin, if you've done something wrong, you're neglecting or whatever, get yourself up and get to the Lord. Don't run away from him. Get running to him and he will forgive. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our Lord, that's our God. Get it fixed with Him. Down in verse 19, as many as I love, see what He says there? I rebuke and chasten. 
to rebuke, to correct, to tell them off, to show them the right way to go. And to chasten has the idea of discipline. It's like a child being corrected and shown the proper way, and sometimes discipline is necessary. The Lord Jesus is correcting them in love for them. To correct in love certainly is love for them. We think about uh, going out and witnessing and such. And some people say, well, well we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be just going out and telling them the gospel and stuff. Well, yes, we should. We should. What if that person dies tomorrow and never heard the gospel? You've got an opportunity today to share the gospel with them. The loving thing to do is to get out there and to tell people, to see people as God sees them. People whom, for whom Christ has died, who are not saved yet, they need to hear the gospel and love would get the gospel to them. It's not being loving by holding it back and talking about the hockey game or the baseball game or whatever. Showing the love of God is to show them and help them understand that their sinners and their sins must be dealt with through acceptance of Christ as Savior. And they could be saved. God's not willing that any should perish. And Jesus is showing them that the love of of himself. He could have said, well, he would never say, but sometimes we think, well, you could just kind of gloss over these problems they've got. They're doing pretty good. They're not doing good. And he comes and tells them, you're not doing good. People need to be told, you're not doing well. To rebuke, to chasten their part. He says, be zealous, therefore. They were zealous for the things of the world, <clears throat> they were zealous for money. He says, repent. And in the repentance, we know as an acknowledgement of the wrong. You see that thing, and you agree with what's being said. Okay, I see it. And you're going to change your mind about it. What they're doing here is wrong. They say, okay, I see that. I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to turn to the Lord. That's basically repentance. Acknowledging of the wrong, to turning away from it, and turning to the Lord and to what he says about it. Verse 20, the Lord says, he's standing at the door knocking. He's at the door. He's outside now. He's outside of the church, outside of their lives. This doesn't mean they're not saved. This is to the church, to the assembly of those that are, have been saved and, and called out from the world and brought together. But they've fallen into things as we do. We fall into things and things happen. And he says, I'm knocking at the door. He's outside of their lives, outside of their hearts. They're sitting on the throne of, the, of their lives, on, on the throne of their heart. If any hear my voice, he says, is anybody listening? And he's just knocking, just knocking. Do you hear that little knocking taking place? He's not going to force himself in. You've got to get up and open the door and let him in. Bring him in. See the thing that's wrong. Turn from it. Turn to him. Bring him in. He says, I will come in and sup with you. That's supper. We call it supper time. It's a time of fellowship. You sit around the table. A fellowship with the Lord. They lost their fellowship with the Lord. And they were content with fellowship with money and the things of the world. That took all of their time and took all of their heart. He says, I will come in and sup with them. And he that overcomes will reign with me. Will reign when it comes, when he returns and sets up the millennial kingdom, will reign with him. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Those that can hear these things are the ones that will repent. Those that don't have an ear are not going to, I guess. That ends the 
seven letters to the uh, churches in uh, uh, Asia Minor. And the Lord has given us these for us to look at and to study these things out. Personally, I find it some of the hardest things in the Bible to read because they're so personal. And they're things that happen to people in churches over time. And we should be able to see ourselves and see the dangers around about us. And to see the things that we get too close to and what happens if we spend too much time there. Tremendous, tremendous portions of Scripture. And like I said, we just went over them very quickly. But I want you to take some time, if you would, please, and just go through them and read them over and over and see what you can get for yourself. And ask the Lord to examine you, to test your heart, to test your, 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 your thoughts, to bring you up before these things. Anyways, there we have it. We're going to be um, starting in another uh, group. We looked at chapter 1 as an introduction and as Jesus Christ is introduced. And then the next section was the seven churches. Now those sections are done. We're going to go into the next section, which is the scene in heaven. Please read through chapters 5 and 6. No, I mean chapters 4 and 5, rather. That is a unit. We'll take it as a unit in itself. We note the scene from the churches. He's dealing with them. In chapters 4 and 5, the scene shifts to heaven. And some things happening in heaven. And what has to take place before the uh, tribulation comes and those difficult times upon the earth. But what's going to take place in heaven? Chapter 6 then goes back to the scene upon earth. But right now we're going to shift from the uh, seven churches and shift to the scene in heaven. Read through it. And we'll have a look at that in our Bibles uh, shortly. Thank you very much for your attention. For those that are interested in uh, learning about the book of Revelation and such. You may not agree with everything that's said. But you can take your Bible and, and see if, it's, uh, if it, these things that are, are said are so. And uh, see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye now.